It's time for everybody's favorite show about the great state of Utah. It's the New Utah Podcast with your hosts, free defender of all that is woman, Jeremy, the daddest of dads, Jessica, producer extraordinaire, and Chris, pretend radio leader of the show. I really have no idea if that's going to stick. <laughs> I think at the end you should say, and me, Chris. Uh, I don't know. Because no, he doesn't talk like that. It barely no. sounds like him. Yeah, that was very like, I don't know. I, I like it. Let's give it a I while. I re-recorded it like three or four times to make sure it was exciting and the right pauses and everything else because that's important. Like the first time I recorded it, by the time I got to Jess, it was like, and Jess, the producer extraordinaire, and Chris, the fake guy that show and so i had to like re-record it and i actually recorded it multiple times and just took chunks and i still don't know if i'm super happy with it but i think the voice over top of the background is is good i like it i don't know if we'll keep that that set of intro but give a little while we'll see yeah uh let us know what you think actually uh leave a review and tell us if that intro was fucking horrible or not uh or you know send us a message on twitter or facebook or instagram I don't understand Instagram messaging. Like, Instagram's to show pictures and, like, people message and do other shit, and it's weird to me that you do that on Instagram. So, I don't know. Like, it, I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> um, also, doesn't Facebook own Instagram? I don't know. Uh, they yes, do. they do. And why does Facebook have story and Instagram have story? Why don't they just fucking merge the companies? Um, They do tie to each other, so... I don't post on either of them. I just don't have them. I don't have them linked because some stuff I don't want to share on one platform or the other. So I pretty much stay off of Facebook for the most part these days. I'm not not a big fan. I have to be on it for work a little bit and uh, you know the podcast, but I don't typically pay attention to it unless someone messaged me directly. So I just find that my feed is always full of garbage now. It's not worth looking at. It's not people. Yeah. It's not people I care about posting things that matter. It's usually bullshit. You control that, you know. Yeah. Well, you didn't <laughs> used to, and now that you have more control over it, I don't give a shit. So, fuck you, Mark Zuckerberg. I'm with Stephen King on this one. Fuck you. <laughs> Post my pictures on another one of the things that you own. Actually, you know that's interesting because there's a there's a um, so now that that software is kind of where it's at and the internet is where it's at. One of the big things out there is data grabs. And so like Amazon's recently changed some of its contracts. So if you're storing data on Amazon servers, like in, in AWS and the RD2 and stuff, um, RD2 only means something to people that know what that actually is. But if you're storing data and you're housing databases on Amazon servers, the contracts and the terms are essentially that they own the data. Hmm which is really scary. So better think twice about just building something on Amazon because it's free because it is like a lot of shit on Amazon's free uh, in, in the AWS cloud world, but hosting your data, gives them access to own that data. So you'll pay for it one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah. Some scary shit. And I think that's kind of the case with a lot of these other sites. So, um, Episode 194. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I should maybe put something in about the episode so we don't forget. <laughs> We've done pretty good the last while to to announce what episode it's on. 194 episodes. That's a lot. It's a bunch. It's more than one. So it's more than 25, <laughs> which is the magic quitting number, apparently. Um, I will say uh, that if things sound a little bit different or we're a little discombobulated, it's because we have new tables. 
new tables um, to go along with our new equipment. This is the year of the upgrades. So Jeremy made some custom tables to fit the studio the it's way just, we wanted them. We, we had discussed finding some existing and modifying them, and it was just like, no, I can build it to be exactly what we want. Well, and by the time we find them and, and purchase them and get them here, and like we're dealing still with stuff that's not made for this room, it's just better. Yep. And and so Bree, Jeremy built the tables, Bree covered them with some uh, soundproofing and some vinyl, and so now this doesn't sound horrible as I beat on the table. <laughs> uh, I can drop stuff on the table, and it's just like nothing happened. The dog can probably fucking slam into the table, and we don't hear the... Anymore. Well, I don't know. I think your chill still might transfer some sound, but it's got vinyl, so if there is accidental spillage, Jeremy, it'll clean up easier. But you do need to use a coaster now because it's not the yes. same as a flat. Surface. Which I used one before, so I'm used to. But the cables are out of the way. There's but yeah, so much there's more actually room, room on the for table. activities. That was the thing: is that the cables took up all the space. What kind of activities are you expecting to happen on this table? <laughs> I mean. You never know. It's my house, and we could christen it. That's one activity <laughs> that there would be more room for. It is vinyl. We could clean it, it off good. afterwards. Would clean off. <laughs> we could make it sanitary. Squeegee it. So uh, what do you guys think, though, of, of it now that it's pseudo done? We still have to finish the legs Yeah, and I stuff, still have to finish the legs, but I figured I it was more important to have the top since it was pretty rough. And to actually be able to use it this well, way. Yeah, I think it's good. I, I'm liking it. And, and we were able to route the cables underneath. Um, yeah, there's will, only one cable on top right now. I was going to ask you, can I drill through that center support to yeah. run cables if we want? Just yeah. put a hole in it? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. We might do that. We'll good see. job, guys. I didn't help at all. That's okay. That's okay. You do other things. Yeah, you, you do, do all the I, other I things. I finally had to put some effort into this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. You My effort was the staple gun. No, I mean, you put this up. That was part of your effort, the the true. Starship Enterprise desk. I did that. Thing. Um, you, we put up the banner and the corkboard and the calendar. I guess I, my job is decorating. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody can well, see on the podcast. The calendar is important because we don't know what is today. You need to get up and go tell us, Jeremy, because yeah, I think this is important. The calendar is your job. Today would be the eleventh. No, no, dude, go up and read the calendar because what this is, is one oh, of the what things. Is, oh, this oh. is Here. the national yeah. day. So, Does, and actually, we can grab one of those mics, pull it off. I don't know if you can carry it because the cables are there. So, just uh, tell us what we have got going on this today. Don't cry over spilled milk day. Inventor's is Day. Is that all today? Yeah. This is all today? Okay. Make a friend day. Make a friend day. Peppermint Patty Day. Peppermint Patty Day. <laughs> like eating the kind or like Inventor's Charles Schultz? Day. What? Shut-in visitation day. What is it? Shut-in Shut visitation day. day. White shirt day. White I'm, shirt I'm day. I'm wearing a white shirt. And stay up there, dude. This was all. This is all, by the way, the 11th of February. This is a popular fucking day because the 12th has like one thing. It looks like plum pudding day. Plum plum pudding. <gasps> plum pudding. pudding. No, that sounds horrible. No, keep going. What's the 13th? Oh, that's. Are oh, you on the 13th? Okay. We got to go until next week. Day. What? Break up with your carrier day. Break, Break up, up with, with your, your carrier. carrier. Sorry, Travis. Cheddar day is the 13th. Cheddar day. Cheddar Cheddar day on tortellini day. Ooh. So you could have Cheddarfield tortellini. That wouldn't be very good, by the way. No, it wouldn't. No, Cheddar. Imagine that on Valentine's Day. Ferris wheel day. Ferris wheel day. Yeah, that makes sense. Organ donor day. Organ It's because it's a heart. Yeah. Uh, okay, what about Saturday? Saturday would be gumdrop day. Gumdrop. Okay. I don't like gumdrops. They're good. Singles awareness day. Singles awareness day. <laughs> it's Friday. Wisconsin day. Wisconsin day? Okay, what about, what about the day after that? Oh my Saturday? God, what the hell, dude? Almond day. Almond day? And do a grouch a favor day. Do, do a, oh, I could do you a favor and I'd be good. Fuck you. <laughs> Texas to Monday 
which is President's Day. Day. It's also Cabin's President's Day? Day. Oh, yeah, it's President's Day. Random Acts of Kindness Day. I can't do Random Acts of Kindness. I'll be at home, and that mean I'd have to be I nice to Chris. I will have to make you some cabbage, though. And President's Day, and then we'll, we'll leave the next week. Yeah, we'll get next week, next week. <laughs> wow. Week, yeah. Well, should we fill up Tuesday? Because they won't hear this on Tuesday next oh, week. So we need them to be prepared for whatever is next Tuesday. <laughs> Battery day. Battery, battery day. day. Does that mean you like should change like, the smoke alarm batteries? Probably. Okay, so that's um, when we'll do that. Crab, crab stuffed flounder day. Oh, crab stuffed flounder? Crab stuffed flounder is good. Maybe I'll make that. Wine day. <gasps> oh, I could handle that. I'm going to eat the flounder with you. Do you guys want some crab stuffed flounder next Tuesday? Sure. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll drink the wine. Oh, that's yeah. good. That, I'm, I'll be in charge of drinking. That sounds incredible. That sounds really good right now. Yeah. I've had crab stuff flounder before. So how, when, tasty. or where, or why half those days exist, I don't know. But there you go. I just saw the donuts, and I was hoping it was donut day, so I could have an excuse. Those to are go bagels. Oh, never mind. I don't give a fuck about those. The one on the top has a poppy seed bagel, and it. it looks like the other ones are cranberry. You know, bagels. you know what another ner- name for a bagel is bagel. Shitty donut. <laughs> There's also strawberry day up there. I don't know. Oh, fuck yeah. strawberries. They'll kill my wife. Strawberries and bagels. Strawberries. They'll kill me. They'll just make me very uncomfortable. I bet if you ate a fucking thing of them, they would kill you. Uh, that's true. I'm usually pretty careful. Around. Yeah. You're like, oh, I had a little bit of juice that had strawberry in it and my throat's really itchy. Can you imagine if you ate a whole pint of strawberries? <laughs> my mom tried to give me strawberry shortcake for my birthday once. I was like, mom. Like mom, I've been allergic to strawberries my whole fucking no, life. No, I haven't. I did not become allergic to strawberries until after, I can't remember if it was Cassidy or Sean was born. Man, those kids really fucked the hormones, did something to you, I guess. Well, Cassie ate her fucking thyroid, so. (laughs) (laughs) Those kids just completely fucked her over health-wise. That's the price of having kids, people, so don't have kids. Well, Cassie ate my thyroid and made me um, chronically anemic. Once again. Sean didn't really do anything. The leader of this podcast is pro-abortion, so. So, Did I tell you guys about that or was it on the show? I don't remember. I don't know. Well, you say that there's a chick at my work right now who she's like, I I can't remember what she says she thought it might be, but then she's like, or it could always be that other thing. And, you know, she's nauseous and stuff. And I was like, well, it's still legal to do that thing. So, you know, you could always take advantage <laughs> of it. <laughs> I was telling, She just looked at me really weird and walked out of the bathroom. I was telling someone something the other day and I'm like, I'm actually pro-abortion. <laughs> like, wait no, no, that's about right. I think if you get pregnant, you should have to take a test on whether or not you could be a parent and then be forced to have an abortion <laughs> if you can't. And also, the guy that got you pregnant, he needs to take a test, too. And if either of you are unfit or he's unfit, but you, if he's unfit, but you're found to be fit to be a single parent, then it's okay. You can have the kid. Otherwise, abortion. I think that a guy could be a single parent. Why Why would you make it just the woman? Well, I'm just saying if one of the two... Because, but that's not what you said. Because ultimately it's the woman's body, so if she just wants to have an abortion, yeah, go for okay, it. Okay, but if, if she's like, I don't need the baby, but breaks, the boy can. We should give people tax breaks for having abortions. <laughs> This show is. You heard it here first. This show is not going to pull well with conservative audiences right now. Speaking of conservatives, I got a I got a a letter response from Mitt Romney today in my email. Was it a form letter? It uh yes, yes. and no yes and no it was a letter kind response because did you send him a letter? I did. Yep. And you said thanks for being a pal, Mitt. I did actually. Thank you for being a friend. I did. And I sang it just like that when I was writing it. No, I just thought it was really cool. Musical notes next to it and everything. Yep. I just thought that was cool. Cool. Form or not. Are you going to put that in there? You should. No, why would I do that? It's extra work. Exactly. (laughs) 
<laughs> I don't know. Why do I do anything? Uh, what? So why do I do any of the things that I do? I don't know, because they're extra work. It's weird. I have enough work to do. <laughs> I mean, I was actually, as I was seeing that, trying to pull it up um, so that I could just have it play, because then I don't have to add it in later. <laughs> and, um, you know, now that we've been talking, it's pulled up, so I'll just play it now, so... It's really good. Taught me to repeat the conversation. God damn it. Fucking YouTube. Stop playing ads. Every <laughs> time I click on a video, they've gotten bad. And it's for purple because we looked at stuff. So, you know. Uh, When did that happen? Did that happen after the podcast last week? The impeachment vote? Uh, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about that. So Utah's Mitt Romney decided to vote for and he is now uh, being locked out of uh, events. He's persona non grata. He knew, and he knew. His speech was actually very, very good, but I did. I sent a thank you letter, and then I got one back. It's very That's cool. pretty awesome. Yeah, I thought it was cool. Yeah, and I, I will say this. I'm not a big fan of Mitt Romney because he's a tool, but Mitt Romney... That was a that was a big that thing. Was a that was a huge thing. And that's like regardless if you like him. You, you know, from a from a standpoint of even a Republican in the state of Utah, first off, if you like Trump, you're a fucking idiot. But two, he he had the willingness to stand up and say, "Yeah, I can't I can't under good conscience not say that he fucking didn't do this because he absolutely abused power." 100% the guy abused power and I don't care if I'm going to be ostracized by my party by doing this vote, I have to. So I'm pretty pretty glad that he was able to do that because, you know, Mike Lee's a fucking gutless piece of shit that couldn't do it. So And Chris Stewart. Yep. Chris Stewart doesn't get to do that kind of vote. So Chris Stewart gets to vote along party lines on the articles of impeachment. I agree with you. I'm not a, I'm not a Mitt fan, but I applaud that move. I think yeah. that was the right thing to do. Well, because, I mean, he knew going into it. This is, this is the thing that makes that particularly... Um, uh, Special is he knew going in, he was going to be by himself out on an island, and that he was going to get lambasted everywhere. And, and he the, will for and he will for a while, and I'm sure it'll fade. But it'll fade, and he's not up for re-election for four more years. Yeah. So uh, it'll fade completely by then, and Trump will be out of office, and everyone will have forgiven, and probably be like, yeah, he made the right decision because Republicans, as soon as Trump's is gone, are going to start fucking backtracking on their support for the dumbass. For I sure. guarantee it. Well, and there, I wish I would have read the full article. Uh, I don't remember if it was today or yesterday that I saw that there was a PAC event that he was supposed to go to. I don't know if it was a fundraiser or not, but they actually asked him to not come because of security risks. Yeah, so. makes sense. Makes sense. So um, now that we've talked about uh, hmm. Trump getting off uh, of impeachment. Don't ever talk about that. <laughs> I, I fixed it. I said of impeachment. Um, Jeremy, can we talk about your beans? Yes. Are they getting off? Whoa. Whoa. So last Sunday, since, you know, last Monday or last week when we spoke, we had just had snowmageddon. Yeah, after so, having like two days of 50 degree temperatures. So, so last Sunday, we were back up to almost 50 degree weather. So I thought, I got to check on the bees. I got to see. So, so at first, I opened the window and I couldn't see anything. I'm like, uh, not good. So I opened the top and I started to take off the uh, foam. As soon as I lifted the foam, I could see probably 20, 30 bees milling about. So I, I put it all back together quickly, opened the little window back up, and they had all moved back down to the window. So they're alive. Oh, 
I could see them. They're alive. That is fucking impressive. So I am so excited. It's alive. Is that what you said? Just it's like alive. young freaking So, so that doesn't mean we're completely out of the woods because of how crazy our weather is. So hot and then so cold. But they've made it this far. So let's just keep our fingers crossed that they make it the so rest of the way. So we're going to have another cold spell coming up. So I did, oh, was that probably three weeks ago-ish? I did put the third cork in, so all three holes are closed off. So I'll kind of keep an eye on it. I'll open one of them when I feel like the weather's going to be. I hate it when all my holes when all your holes off. are corked. It's really messy. So it sometimes it's necessary. Yeah, I got to cork those holes, man. Tell so me. I got to keep an eye on it though, because right now is the order time. So any of you out there who are, want to do bees this season, now is the time you have to get on the order list. This is the place. So so between now and. <laughs> About the first first or second week of March is it. And then after that, they they don't oh take gosh, orders. so close. I know. Yeah, it is really close. And so that's yeah. the thing is I'm like, well, if I, if I need to order them, I've got to. I've... Can you incorporate new bees with old bees? Can they be friends? No. Is I know it? they can't. And I'll tell you why, because I watched a documentary uh, for the Oscars about it. And it was really, really so sad. So if you, you could incorporate non-pheromone-tied drones, probably. Right? A f- pos- they would probably... So be like, can you just send me boy bees, please? Well, so the, the problem is, like, if you dump a bunch of bees into a hive, let's say you just don't drop the queen in and there's an existing queen, she's not giving off enough pheromones probably to pull those bees back down into the hive right away. Right. And, and so... If, if they're close and there's other bees, they're going to get attacked. Then it well, becomes that's the bee fight club. So, exactly. Except so, for the non-pheromone drones will just die because they don't know. So the existing fight. bees will take those bees as intruders and they'll fight till either the existing hive is completely killed or... So you'd have to do something to make the queen release a ton of pheromones. Right. So, yeah, hmm. you might be able to release a portion of them, but I don't even think that would work. Really, if you're going to do that, you just need to start a second hive. So, I mean, it was interesting. Like, that was probably one of the coolest phenomenon to see when we did your bees and we put them in the hive. And, like, you uncorked a thing and shoved the marshmallow in it or whatever the fuck it was. I think mm-hmm. it was marshmallow. Marshmallow, yeah. Uh, and put her in there. And you could see, like, it was crazy because the bees were non-aggressive. They weren't doing no. anything, but they were fucking swarming everywhere. A lot like of 5, them. 5,000 bees. He's putting stuff in. He puts a thing down. And we, by the time we had taken off our stuff and walked to the porch in Jeremy's yard, you could actually see the swarm of bees starting to come back down into that's the so hive. Cool. It's really cool. Like, that's just a... Like these things that were just going to wander off into nothingness because yep. the queen wasn't ready yet. And as soon as as soon as soon that court came out, like a flood of pheromones just pouring out of that thing. So She's pissed. <laughs> yeah. So, so she's trying to get out. So she's angry. So she's lighting off all the pheromones. And then the bees are countering that and they're trying to get her out and so it's a fight between the two and the more she struggles the more she's letting off the pheromones and so she's marking the whole and it was and it's just amazing to watch all the drones just come back that was the craziest thing this huge plume of bees and then they all kind of go back in again really wild and and within two or three hours they're pretty much all in the hive yeah yeah they're all in there trying to get her out Mm -hmm. it's pretty cool it's one of those things that it's it's really cool being a beekeeper as and you act as if you're in charge, but you're not. All, all you're doing is watching them every so often. You're not in charge. Yeah, you're really <laughs> just kind of guiding them, right? Like I mean, you do not... things and you keep it clean and you separate the 
the bars and some you of try the, to prevent wasp attacks, but but it's all up to them. There's really not anything that you do. Well, it's even like right now, right? There's not really anything that you can do if the colony doesn't survive. It's not yeah. because you didn't try. It's because right. Mother Nature sucks. Right. 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 Well, because I've done everything I can, insulated them, all of that kind of stuff. We winterize. We do everything we can, but yeah, it's totally up to. Well, I remember when we talked to not the night guys. Uh, the guy he was like. You get two seasons out of your bees. You should consider yourself really lucky that you winter bees. Once. Which was, I'm really glad we talked to him. And that was at the farmer's market. What was that two? That was a couple years ago. Two seasons. Two, yeah. So Almost. I'm actually really glad that, that we talked to him for that brief five or six minutes. Because it, because it like, oh, it was, I felt, I felt a lot better because I'm like, oh, all this time I've been thinking I'm doing something wrong. Yeah. But and he was like, totally like, no, that's yeah. fantastic. If I, he, he said, if I get more than one season out of my bees, I consider it really successful. And he's got thousands of hives. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's really cool to think because you had the one that lasted three seasons. I, yeah. That's the most I've ever gotten is three seasons out of one. So these guys lasting potentially this weird winter would be really awesome. So if they make it through the winter, the advantage is I run the possibility of a spring harvest, which I've only ever done, I think, twice. Well, because they had a lot of honey when yeah, you, you, you decided not to pull any mm-hmm. because we had that cold snap. So. Yeah, because I don't, I don't remember what we pulled. Four or five bars is what we pulled. Yeah. And there was another probably three or four in there. So if 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 all goes well and continues as it is... You can do a spring harvest, and the spring harvest is a very different color. It's a dark, dark yeah, honey. Different kind of honey, different and it's flavors. A very different taste, too. I'm excited. So we'll see. Fingers crossed. That would be really cool to get another spring harvest because I've only ever had, I think, two. This would be my third. I love honey. It is like honey is seriously one of my favorite things. I can just sit and eat it with you a You should spoon. watch that documentary. Do you do subtitles? Yeah. You yeah, should do watch subtitles. it. It's called Honeyland. Right now I'm watching uh, Pandemic. The docu series on Netflix about basically pandemics and the flu virus, and hmm. uh, it's really fucked. Like listening to anti-vaxxers, that's all I can say. Those fucking people are so goddamn stupid, and they are going to cause a serious problem in this world. Yep. Um, I just want. Here's the thing: is I want the anti-vaxxers if they could just go stay on the cruise ship in Japan right now, the Diamond Princess, <laughs> and just like fucking <laughs> hang out with all the sickies. Uh, you just give them their own island. I'm no, sure no, no. there's one out there. No, there is an island. It's off the coast of Japan. It's just floating in a dock. It's tr- no, it's like, a, it's like a floating prison. I Those know, because coronavirus. And of course, we hear about the Utah connection because, you know, Utah can't fucking do anything in the world that doesn't have a tie to them. That's true. So it's like when the fucking tsunami hit oh, yeah. and the news stations were talking about if you could have a tsunami. Have one. So like, Let me tell you, if there's a tsunami here, the whole world's done. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> okay. So let's talk about events real quick. Uh, and then we're going to talk about some, some very, very Utah centric stuff. And then we've got a guest that we'll talk to about, um, some stuff. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jess, what did you do this weekend? Sorry. We talked about bees. Did you do anything exciting? Oh, yeah. Uh, I finished watching as many Oscar films as I could. There, I believe there are 57 nominated. I watched 45. That's in a weekend? No, I did it over the last month. <laughs> no. I, that's even a lot. But, that's, but, even a, even a lot and, that's a lot of movies over the course of a month. And I guessed every single nomination except for one. So that was pretty rad. Sweet. I know. That's basically what I did. <laughs> uh, I... I uh, I took a class and I went to the antique mall. So that was. I also. Think, oh, and then we had musical sing along night, which was fun with my cousin. I also think it should be obvious that I don't really care about the Oscars. 
Right, but I'm still part of this podcast, and I care, so. What? No. <laughs> the hell you say? Cakes. Do you have cakes going on? I have a couple coming up, yes. Like Ace of Cakes or like just normal cakes? Um, I have cake pops. And what do you mean Ace of Cakes? Like I'm not building structures. Like Charm City Cakes? I do love Duff. He's pretty much a That's awesome. <laughs> That's great. That other guy's a tool. Uh, Buddy. Buddy. True, but uh, he that was actually one of... The, I went in his... This was before they expanded and before he became famous, and he was just a baker in Hoboken, but... Uh, it was his shop that inspired me to go home and make just a cake, actually. Just a little actually. baker in Hoboken. Was he, he, still was? A, mm-hmm. was he still a tool back then, or was he... I'm sure he was, dude. He's from I've Hoboken. I've never met him. True. Hoboken. Hoboken. True. Hoboken, New Jersey, huh? True, true. Hey. Yep. Um, anyway. <laughs> I do. <laughs> There's no A's in New Jersey. That's Minnesota. I, I just... I, I, I'm walking here. The, the award show thing, like, do you watch all of them, or just the Academy Awards? Every single one of them. I don't... I I don't get it because they're like watch the country one. I guess the one. No, that, the, that's true. I don't watch country. Which, which one is the one where the actors and actresses and directors all vote? The SAG Awards. The SAG. Mm-hmm. That that would be the award show to me that would probably matter. Is I I really like that one because the other one's actually. like the Oscars and the Academy Awards. Like they're they're very, the same thing. Well, and they're. They are? The Oscars and the Academy Awards, yep. Okay, I don't know. The so Golden Globes. Yeah. So the Golden Globes is television and movies. Okay, yeah. And then yeah. the Academy Awards slash Oscars are Right, and then they have movies. the Spirit Awards, which is more independent films. And then they have the... They have, um, like, awards for, like, writers, um, like, the, like, production. Yeah, so those, those I could get behind. But, like, the Academy Awards, they're very, like, politicized in a sense, the, the way they... I don't know if politicized is the right word, but they're very um, bought a lot of the times, it feels. Well, they definitely are campaigning. These people are campaigning for award season, uh, for sure. But this year was such an incredible year for movies. Like, I think there were only maybe three films that I didn't like of the 45 that I watched. Also, can I say Toy Story 4? I watched it this weekend. Not that great. Missing Link should have won that really, award. I saw really this weekend too because it just came out on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, it really disappointed <laughs> of the Toy Stories. It's the worst. And it's I think sad. they were trying to make like stupid Forky be something entertaining and it wasn't. He's suicidal. Yes, death was. is not death is nothing new in a Pixar movie though. So oh, yeah, that is true. Yeah. I don't know the creepy the creepy what, what the little doll the, the dolls, dolls were the were best. Awesome. Those were creepy. Yeah, Gabby, Gabby. Dolls. and Gabby Gabby, just yeah. amazing. Her little minions. But I wasn't like in a lot of the Toy Story movies. Like I get, I feel the heart pulls. That one I did not. Yeah, I was like that same dark. And then I was like, am I just callous and cold? Like I don't really fucking care. No, anymore. no. And actually, watching because I watched all of the animated features and. It definitely, there were better ones in that category for sure. But anyways. Did so, it win? Toy Story one. Yeah. 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 That's why I brought it yeah. up. But yeah. it was nice because Pixar actually had a short, an animated short that was nominated called Kitbull that everybody thought was going to win. It's about a, like a, a dog fight Pitbull and this little tiny oh, raggedy yeah. kitten. Yeah, I saw that one. But it didn't, and Hair Love won, which was incredible. So, anyways, more events. I only have three events. Um, I thought it was super important to note that on the 19th, there is going to be a public forum on traffic in the canyons. It's at the Salt Lake Public Library from 7 to 8 p.m. They are doing... Um, it's a big deal. It's huge. Yeah, it's it's huge. Bigly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> coming, coming up is Mardi Gras, which... 
I was reading all of this and I was like, oh, I guess it is that time of year. Uh, our friends over at Mount West Cider are having a party on the 25th from 7 to 10 p.m. Are they going to feed me babies? Yes, they will, actually. If I yes. show them my tits, are they going to give me beats? Maybe. <laughs> or is that or, 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 But in New Orleans, they're starting the... to... Um, like throw out things instead of beads that are not going to be littering and polluting yeah, like the city. Dildos. Like coffee beans. Uh, that's stupid. Toothbrushes. I, want, I don't know what else. I want, I want Those are beads, the only beads for boobs. I feel like toothbrushes are going to be just as littery beads as beads. I don't think that's going to work. Like I really don't because if you've been on like Bourbon Street in New Orleans, it doesn't matter what time of year, every fucking shop is full of beads. True. All year yeah. long. And it's one just step. a thing. Remember what our guy said last last week. What if they one, What if they did them those one difference. like the edible like smarty? Yes, I'm down for that. Would no, it would be them. so disgusting I because would, that street so is gross. so gross. Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> it is really like the dirtiest fucking strip clubs you've ever seen are on that street. It's just not. Yeah. And then when you get down to even the, end the of actual the street, street yeah. the literal oh, street, it's so gross. It's so gross. <laughs> uh, so the last couple of weeks I've been featuring. Uh, companies that are that do classes so we did craft lake city um harman's and harman's so this week i thought i'd do the park city culinary institute which is in salt lake yes which is on state street and about 17th south and coming up on february 20th they are doing a i really want to do this class a french onion soup and herbed pork loin with rye beer mm, incredible sounds, right um Coming up, they are also doing. What are you doing? Weirdo? I just want you to see what's going on. It's like here. an inverted nipple over there. I don't think it's looking like a butthole. Like a butthole. <laughs> if yours is that, mine's no, not I, inflamed I don't even in red. Have... Don't worry, mine's not inflamed in red. Okay, <laughs> this is serious business. We're talking about food right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm showing um, you an inflamed butthole. This is right, right, right. Um, also coming up February 22nd, they're doing um, apple and pear pies with apple pear martinis and mocktails. Then there will be an herbed focaccia with a uh, chopino with San Giovese. Mm. Yeah. Then there will be March 6th is the Asian barbecue with plum wine. I will say this. We, there's no fucking business having chiopino in Salt Lake. Listen, there are freaking awesome classes coming up. So you can just, uh, if you're on Facebook... Go to Park City Culinary Institute and follow their classes. Um, the tickets are sold at Eventbrite. I think two people is, I think one person is $75. So for the upcoming pork class. Hmm. So anyways. $75 for them to local teach me how to pork. classes. Yes. Just learn a new skill this spring. That's what I'm I trying to. I love cooking. Yeah. I would love to actually go get a formal culinary training, but I don't have the time for it. Or the money. It's expensive. Park City is pretty reasonable, and they offer grants, too, so. But then I'd have to make time to do it, and that's a whole thing, and I've already got the <laughs> yeah. show, and. <laughs> I mean, let's be real. I don't have a lot of time these days. I would love to be professionally trained, oh, though, because I love cooking. I haven't checked in yet, but. A uh, reminder that Raclette is doing their all-you-can-eat cheese events on February 28th and March 27th. So if you haven't gotten tickets or you want to go, just go to Raclette Machine's website. Yeah, go support those ladies. They're awesome. Uh, okay, so um, we just got one topic tonight. We're going to talk in, in a bit of depth about it. Uh, Utah has a state slogan, the greatest snow on earth. It's been around since like the 60s, I think, is when we adopted it and started putting it on our license plates. I think it was 
was the 80s, actually. Um, I don't remember. It wasn't one of these things that we printed, probably. Um, but it was uh, something that, that Utahns say that Utah kind of boasts. Um, In 1985, Utah began imprinting the well-known okay. greatest well, known or slogan on the license plates. Fine. But it's it goes says but but it goes back to the sixties. Yeah, I think that's when it started. Was back in the sixties. You can't go back. So um, first, we're going to talk. <laughs> we're just going to talk about Utah snow in general. So the, there's ten things that you didn't know about Utah snow. So um, the first one is our annual snowfall, and this so, is from SkiUtah.com. Yes, so it is very much a tourist site. Um, but these are real numbers. So Utah's Cottonwood Canyon, so big and little Cottonwood, where most of our resorts are, uh, are one of the snowiest places in the world, with Alta averaging 551 inches of snow annually. 551 inches, people. Doing a little math here real quick for those of us that don't do inches. So that's 45.9 really feet. 45 feet. So just just think about that. Well, it's 45.9. It's almost, almost 46. Close. So that that is four and a half stories tall. Yeah, so just think about this. When you're skiing up at a place like Alta or Brighton, because they're all pretty close. You're four stories you're, up. You're four stories <laughs> on top of where that ground is in the summer. So we, a couple of winters ago, when I went uh, snowmobiling up at Bear Lake. The year you almost died. The year I almost died. <laughs> One of the years I almost died at Bear Lake. Um, that actually blew my mind because you don't think about that. And while we're on top of the snow, we came to like one spot where there was a, like a, it wasn't an outhouse, but like a picnic area where they had a little roof pavilion and benches. Yeah, a pavilion. And like being at the top of that was so weird. Yeah, because you're like on top of the yeah. pavilion. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like weird because the trees are so tall and like you're in the trees. They don't look tall when you're in the snow in the middle of winter. Yeah, when you hit them, they still hurt. <laughs> They're still very strong, uh, but that's 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 a wild amount of snow, uh, and that's why one of the reasons why we're able to have such an amazing ski season and and ski tourism, and part of why we say we have the greatest snow on earth. Um, that's a foot of snow every five days from December to March, roughly. That's on average. so cool. And sometimes when you have snowmageddon, you get 10 of those feet in one. Well, actually, when snowmageddon hit in the valley, they got like two inches. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, on Monday, uh, coming home, there was this crazy, crazy snowstorm only up against the mountains. So, you know. That's the way it goes. It seems like when it's we're getting so snow cool. down here, it, it's there, because it all comes down there. off the mountains and dumps into the valley. So the next one is... Um, Talking about our actual snow, so part of, scientifically part of why it's called the greatest snow on earth is the density. Our density is at 8.5%, uh, which is, is the amount of water to dryness to flake size. So the other article that I, I threw up there about the science actually talks quite a bit about this. Um, and so, um, let me find the bit on here. Okay, so there's a cool phenomenon that happens in Utah during just about every storm. Oh, no, that's the lake effect. Oh, the snowflakes in Utah are also particularly unique. The powder we play ski, snowboard, snowshoe, and hike on has a unique makeup. 
Under cold and oftentimes dry conditions, light crystal-like snowflakes called dendrites are formed. They're, these awesome snowflakes are thin and very symmetrical, which is why Utah snow is amazing. And while falling f- from the gray and freezing sky, they join together and form the powder every outdoor enthusiast covets. And that's from the Leonardo, by the way. So yeah, as weird as it sounds, together. we have the driest snow. Well, it's not actually, that's, that's a misnomer. So it's not actually the driest. It's actually the amount of moisture in the snow uh, and the way it falls, creating that, that kind of structure of a snowflake. That creates the powder. So there's actually a good mix of nice, wet, heavy snow at the bottom and that powder on top, which is why people go up in the mornings when there's new powder. And the when it's not icy. And that's, well, that's the thing. It's not generally icy here. So if you ski back east, like up in, in uh, Vermont and those areas and in, in like in the, in the New England area, it's ice. Mm-hmm. It's all icy. They might get a decent amount of snow. But if it's not like the next day, it's incredibly icy. So you're actually skiing on ice. Here you're skiing on fluffy powder. Like if you go on a new, like on a powder day and you fall, you like sink four feet into the snow. <laughs> like you kind of have to dig yourself out. And that's a big part of why people like to ski here because you do get that, that glide on that nice fluffy snow. So, oh, that was the next one, Utah Powder Days. If you live for snorkel deep days, the good news is that Utah receives, on average, 18 Utah Powder Days, which means 12 plus inches in 24 hours. 12 inches of fluffy white goodness that you get to ski down. You know the street value? Do you know the street value of this? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, Eight driving miles is what they say, and, and, and basically... This is what is wonderful about Utah. 40 feet of snow in the mountains, 5 feet in the valley in a year. And so yeah. we get to live here. The streets are dry. The snow in a lot of areas is melted during the winter, uh, uh, you know, off and on. Never in our front yard, by the way. It's snow <laughs> will be there we, all winter. Me too. North facing. Yeah. So, But you don't get snowed on that much. <laughs> Uh, but once it's there, yeah. it stays. Yeah, it so I'm the last person in my neighborhood that it melts. Yeah, we didn't actually have it melt all the way before Snowmageddon. There was still a pile that hadn't melted yet. Um, but up in the mountains, 40 feet. And, and it doesn't really melt until spring is in full swing. And so we're able to have a, a relaxing kind of city life and then go up in the mountains and, and really experience winter. True. And um, if you look at... Timpanogos, there's like a basin up there and um, my uncle who farms always looks at that for like water level, like depending upon how quickly that melts. Yeah. Yeah. They're on the backside of Temp? Front side. Oh. They live in American Fork. So also within eight driving miles, there are what, like 13 ski resorts or something uh, within 30 minutes of our airport. So it makes winter tourism particularly awesome. Uh, January 13th is a golden winter day. I didn't even know that existed. I did not either. The highest likelihood of receiving snowfall, snowfall over any other winter day. Interesting. So historically, we get more snow on January 13th. Huh. Yeah, most likely to receive snowfall anyway. Uh, spring fever. Uh, on average, 6.7 feet of snow falls in each April. So that's a... Th- Thing, like a lot of people think, okay, April's here, it's warm, it's rainy, there's no snow. Didn't We're they reopen them last year because there was so much snow? No, they kept them open last year. So they, they stayed open, some of them, till July 4th, I think. Yeah. 
You're right. Because there was still snow up in some of the resorts. And it wasn't a great skiing, but it was still skiing nonetheless in summer, which is pretty insane. Which is awesome to for a tourist to be like, oh, I'm going skiing on the 4th of July. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not water skiing, <laughs> snow skiing. So uh, the last thing here, and this is another part of why it's Utah not. has... It goes on the back. There's, oh, there's 10. More. Oh, yeah, because it is 10 things. Well, number eight is the lake effect. So we have the Great Salt Lake. It doesn't freeze in the winter because of its salinity, um, but it does provide a crap ton of snow. So much so a, snow. A lot of moisture gets picked up on that thing on storm systems. That hits you guys, right? It always hit my parents in Bountiful. Yeah, we get hit not as bad as Bountiful. Like Davis County really gets wrecked oh, yeah. the lake and effect. Look at that right inversion, there. though. So it's super cold down here, warmer up top. So it evaporates up and then just rolls back And then down. it goes, well, and it just goes and hits the mountains and, and drops in the mountains. Yep. And the then, um, yeah, so uh, Bluebird Pow Days, uh, over the course of the extended weekend vacation, it's very likely you'll see both new snow and bluebird skies. So basically 300 days of sunshine a year and a foot of snow every five days, your beautiful weather, beautiful blue skies, and a ton of fresh snow. Also... You'll get a bad sunburn. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. You don't think about it, people, especially people who aren't from here. That you don't think about it. Because because our weather is not like uh, you're talking about back east snow. It's not bitter cold, so you could go skiing in a long sleeve shirt and your ski pants, especially like, in the spring. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's you get really badly snowburned because snowburned it is a snow because sure. the sun hits the snow and reflects, reflects back at you it. so you don't mm-hmm. just get it from the top it's like when you're out on a lake yeah. and the underside of you gets sunburned it, Plus it's altitude yes and you're closer to the sun closer you're the atmosphere is thinner you get more sun you get burned so, faster another big thing is so in other areas of the country and of the world where it does snow quite a bit the precipitation in the winter is not limited to snow because it's not a high elevation. So a lot of times they get coastal rains and stuff, which, of course, melt the snow and turn it into more ice. In Utah, our resorts sitting above 8,700 feet most of the time, that's all they get. They don't get rain in the winter. They get snow. So it does rain in the summer occasionally, but 99% of their precipitation is snow in the mm-hmm. ski season. So that even includes in the spring. They're getting snow and not rain, which is a big deal. That's why we have... 40 feet of snow up there. It's crazy. Um, so there's a few other things in that Leonardo article that are kind of cool to talk about. Um, but it kind of goes in depth a little bit more about the lake effect and the moisture density, um, you know, 10 to 12 percent moisture density, um, things like that. So it's worth reading. It's a couple years old, actually, that the Leonardo did this article. I think this is interesting really quick while you're talking about the moisture density. By the time the same storm passes Utah and hits Colorado, which is another big ski place, the moisture density drops 3%. Yeah, which is a so big deal. It, I mean, it's the same storm, and so you think it's the same snow, but it's not. Which is why our skiing is way better than Colorado's. And then it hits the Midwest and it just turns to ice. <laughs> yeah, it, t- it turns into thunderstorms. So a big part of that is the jet stream uh, and where the jet stream falls. So City Weekly this week, um, I don't know, Greg Wilcox of City Weekly put out a huge article. And before we get into it, I'm going to talk about the comments. I got to take a drink. You read the comments? <laughs> you have to take wow. a, I like how you had to take a drink break. I'm proud so of I read the first comment. I didn't print them, um, sorry. Which was really long. It was basically a rebuttal article by some jackass that posted essentially bullshit sites. Uh, so he posted... As a, most comments are on things. 
basically saying, well, you know, uh, Gleach that you spend all this time um, romanticizing is an idiot and global warming's not real, basically. And I just wrote it off because I was like, Jesus Christ, that guy took all that time to write something like global warming's not real. But basically, here's the deal. Did you type back, your mom's not real? <laughs> no, I just gave a dislike to his comment. Hopefully I can get it off the front page. Um, so the the crux of this article is Utah has the greatest snow on earth. And then the, the headline is, but for how long? And the reality is we're already starting to see a change. So we can't use, so last year was a really amazing year for snow, right? Brought us out of a drought that we've been in, mm -hmm. one of the worst, that, in fact, maybe the worst drought that Utah's ever been in. Um, it, uh, it it let the ski resorts stay open until, like, fucking July in some cases, which is really incredible. But that's not the trend. The trend has been, you know, ski resorts used to open Thanksgiving Day weekend. Think about the Olympics and how terrified everybody was that there wasn't going to be enough snow. Because we didn't really get snow until like right before we started. Yeah. Yeah. So used to be Thanksgiving Day weekend was a huge weekend for ski resorts. That's when most of them opened. It was a big holiday weekend that a lot of families traveled to come ski. Now more and more that's not happening. They're not able to open on Thanksgiving weekend. It's closer um, to Christmas now. Yeah. And they're making... Tons of snow, which is good, but it has its own problems because a lot of times that early in the year, it's melting now. There's a lot of factors. W one of the biggest ones is actually the jet stream. Part of why we get so much snow is the jet stream runs right across the Wasatch Front. Uh, the jet stream is a stream of air about like 30,000 feet in the air, 25, 30,000 feet in the air. If you're ever flying, by the way, um, uh, east to west or west to east, you're either flying in the jet stream or against the jet stream, and you get to your destination flying east a hell of a lot quicker than you do coming back west. And that's because the jet stream is a massive amount of air that gets pushed and just gets behind jets. and just It's like on Finding Nemo when they ride the current. Yeah, that's it's exactly same what it concept. is. It's the same idea. It's just up in the air instead of in the ocean. However... It's all the same chemical makeup. Yeah, so the jet stream actually brings the cold Arctic air down from the Arctic and into Utah. But because that jet stream seems to be moving more and more, it's moving out of Utah. And some of the estimations are um, there's, there's some pretty strong modeling that suggests that within the next 100 years, Salt Lake's going to be more akin to Phoenix. And that our our mountain resorts are going to be more akin to what the valley is now. Well, and it's interesting because we haven't talked about it a lot, but even with all of this snow, Utah's still a desert. So it is absolutely a desert. If you say it's going to be like Arizona, like we're a yeah. desert. Yeah, you, Salt Lake will be like Phoenix. So instead of having the moisture, you know, the five feet of snow in the valley <laughs> in the winter, we'll have none. And the mountains will get five feet of snow. That's a big difference. Now, that's that's not in our lifetime. That's perhaps maybe in our kids' lifetime if they're lucky, or maybe we don't consider them lucky. But my kids would be 122 and 119. You don't know. With the advances <laughs> in modern technology yeah. and, and my salary, there's a good chance that I'm pretty sure my line will die out because I'm pretty sure Cassie's not going to have kids, and Sean just may or may not. You know, it may not because I don't have to worry about it. It's your fine. your your Irish dad may have had other kids, so you're good. He's probably. He's a test tube daddy. He's got a hundred yeah. kids. Yeah, probably all in Salt Lake. Honestly, 
He was jacking off a lot for that clinic at some point. There were none on 23andMe, so I think I need to try Ancestry now and see. <laughs> uh, but, but, I mean, seriously, um, that's one really big contributing factor. Uh, there's there's other things. Um, this article talks quite a bit about some of the real dangers, some of the real spots that we're in. Um, we're basically fucked as a world, by the way. The Even if we make all the changes today, the carbon emissions that are in the atmosphere now, they don't go away. So, unless... Yeah, remember we talked about those fire particulates? Those don't go away. No, that stuff that stuff stays up there. Um, and so, there's there's some big scares that, you know, the it's way... It's depressing. The, the other big factor is the Great Salt Lake. It's not growing. It's diminishing. It's shrinking. So, I just, I just want to point out this quote in here. It says, Utah's relatively high elevation ski resorts are actually less vulnerable to the initial warming than other regions that are lower and warmer. This will mean that Utah will continue to have relatively good ski conditions compared to many other regions. Yeah, for the next 20, 30 years. There's not a number on it. Um, but as you read through the article, it, it does specify that, you know, by that time, 100 years from now, at the end of this century, we're going to be in likely well, and in last a spot week where we they talked about things that we could do personally. And she, uh, Gleach said, like, you buying a bamboo toothbrush or not taking a flight is not going to prevent climate change. It has to be on a bigger level. It has yeah. to be. But, but you should still be doing everything that you can individually because it does make an impact. Sure. It just It's like voting for your local legislators versus voting for the president in Utah. Yeah. So and you know, unfortunately like the snow machines that we're using now, they're not the same moisture content. So it doesn't produce the same kind of snow. So it is a Mother Nature's awesome. It it is something that I think bears paying attention to. We gave Mother Nature cancer. Yeah, we did. We did. They're called humans. That's what cancer is. Uh, the humans. Of, An abnormal growth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look at how we've spread. There's like, what, almost 8 billion people in the world today, which is amazing because when I was a kid, it was five. And the fact that China had one. When Jeremy and I were kids, there were only 10 people in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. All of them were Jeremy's family and my one kid. And I was, uh, me. But just a little bit of thought on... Uh, on the greatest snow on earth. Well, and this article also talks about the things that the ski re- resorts are doing to research and find out ways to still be marketable uh, with warm weather. Well, so a lot of them, like Snowbird, has all of their packages during the summer. For, yeah, it's like park, what Park City is doing with like terrain parks and the Olympic Park. Well, Wood, and, Woodward Park is the new one up in Park yeah. City that has all the tubing and parkour and skateboarding and stuff. So, so it's a, they are making themselves relevant. Snowbird's fantastic in the summer. I encourage anyone to go there in the summer or the the early fall. They've got the sheep thing up there. Well, that's up in Heber. That's true. The sheep dog things the in sheep Heber. Thing. The sheep thing. That's what you're talking about, right? The yeah, sheep the dog sheep dog thing. competitions. <laughs> so anyway, um, just something to think about. So uh, now we're going to talk to our guest, and uh, that that'll be fun. We are joined uh, this show by uh, I'm trying other things, and that didn't sound very well. This show versus tonight. The episode. Yeah, this episode. That's good. This episode. Okay, we're joined this episode. I'm not going <laughs> to edit this. You guys will see the magic we're of podcast because I am not going to edit that out. Uh, we are joined this episode by Mark Mike. Jesus, I can't even say the easiest name. That's my middle name. By Mike Bryan, um, CEO of uh, Penna Powers. Uh, Mike, I should have had everything else on here too because. 
he's basically a public speaking extraordinaire we, we an author we didn't have enough space on our show i know basically <laughs> <laughs> so the first question i have though is what is it like having two first names you know what? It's awesome because I get to be first or last. You know, if I'm in the middle with my first name, I got to tell you, my wife's maiden name is Hickenlooper, and she's had to spell Brian more than that. Wow. Because I get brain, which is okay. It's does, a compliment. She, I think she, that is a compliment. Does she hyphenate? She did not hyphenate. You know, and the other thing that's really interesting with my name is I can't go by my given name. I can't go by Michael because if I go by Michael, it's Mike O'Brien. <laughs> <laughs> and I get lost so, in all the weeds. So, so yeah, yeah. And you're Irish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you would think. So, and the middle name is that also a first name, or is that like something extraordinary? The middle name is Damon. So, if I get yeah. to pick a D, an M, or a B, depending on how they're going to do the line. And you, you are a first name master. I'm on a first name basis. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if Mike Bryan is a power name, like you know, like Max Power would be, but. We're, Do you we're, go by Mike or Michael? Because Michael well, O'Brien. Just said Michael. Sorry. I can't go yeah, by Michael because they go, Mike O'Brien, are you in the room? And I'm usually looking around going, that idiot, and that's not me. Yeah. So <laughs> I go like, by Mike. If someone calls me by Michael, I usually duck. That's my mom and my wife use that name, usually when I'm so in, trouble. in trouble. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know that feeling. Yeah. So I don't go by my full name either. So yeah, I'm only when I'm in trouble. trouble. <laughs> yeah. well, what's Pen of Powers? So Penna Powers is a, it started out 30 years ago as a traditional advertising agency. So we typically did billboards and the typical stuff that you see within advertising world. But over the, over the span of years, uh, in 2002, I merged a multimedia internet company with the traditional ad agency because it was, you know, it's that time of, the, of life when the internet was taken off and it wasn't just a fad. You realize you got to get on board. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I had started building a company. I built a company that was called ProClix Interactive, and we built multimedia presentations. So for like Daimler Chrysler and for iOmega at the time and for the Olympics and for big companies, J.P. Morgan Chase and some big companies. And we were building what what today people are handling inside of Macintosh's keynote or PowerPoint software, we were using a piece of software called Macromedia Dreamweaver. I love Dreamweaver. Right? <laughs> and we were doing them all in frame-based animations, programmed big-time presentations. So we did a lot of big events, and when the Internet came out, we were the closest thing to it because we were programming already. So we started building the web, and when the Olympics came to town, Penna Powers, um, the owners of, at the time saw me present at a conference about mm -hmm. using multimedia and interactive media. And I had a marketing degree, and everybody else in the technology space were programmers. And they were trying to find a partner to go with them with the Olympics, and they kind of picked me. And we got together. We built the Olympic website for the Utah wow. Department of Transportation. And it ended up being a great relationship. And as soon as the games were over, they said, you're not leaving. We're, we're going to make this happen. And so we merged our companies together and off we went. And, and it changed. The, it changed because the landscape of advertising agencies shifted. No longer was it okay to just do billboards push medium. Mm -hmm. A push medium is something that goes by you, a TV mm -hmm. ad, a radio spot, a billboard. That's how all advertising worked back then. And the yellow pages. Yeah, like the yellow pages. <laughs> That's why there's so many companies with A as the first letter in their name. Yeah. So what ended up happening is the internet came out and it was a pull mechanism. Nobody knew how to leverage this pull mechanism and you had to use all your advertising to just make your web work. 
Mm-hmm. And so it was this interesting phenomenon. And then we shifted into this engagement level of communication. That's how come we don't even call ourselves an advertising agency anymore. We're a communications agency. So we started helping changing the concept of convincing somebody to buy something to opening dialogue, creating a relationship, branding, and helping companies get those relationships. And that changed our trajectory. Do you see now that because of the the digital age that we're in and all of that, that there became a blurred line between um, advertising and marketing? Because I went to school for PR and there was always a very definite line between those two. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because advertising and marketing, if you've got a degree in any one of those, you were taught that there's a dark line between those as well. Marketing people are the ones that decide what's the product, who's the target audience, and advertising people are just supposed to do one leg of that which is the promotion leg. Well, that's all blended now. Even the PR world's had to mm-hmm. blend into this because if you don't do these in concert, you don't work. It doesn't work. Because, and it's interesting, it's hard for people that aren't as close to this with a PR background or an advertising background to know that the mediums multiplied like jackrabbits during this digital phase. There are hundreds of thousands of channels were on one now this is a channel yep. yep and these channels expanded at such a rapid pace that if you don't have this in concert you are talking to thin air because right the audience is so spread out now so you, you, you the science of doing advertising and marketing has you have to be really really good at it to identify where are they drinking because there's drinking fountains everywhere Right. Changed our business. So can we back up just a little bit? Sure. Where were you born and where are you from? Okay. So I was born in Ogden. Ogden. And our family promptly the, moved to, in, actually, I think promptly. <laughs> in the good part of Ogden promptly. or the bad part? In, in the good part of Ogden or the bad part of Ogden? Best part of Ogden. I was, I was born up on Harrison at the McKay Hospital, but my family actually lived in Salt Lake. But I was born in Ogden. Our family hailed from Ogden. Uh-huh. And we moved before I can even remember anything to Fruit Heights, Utah. So we lived right in Fruit Heights between Salt Lake. So we were kind of no man's land right. in there. There was a farm area when we moved in there. We were the only house in the whole area. So. Yeah, that and Cherry Hills. That's right. the only thing out there. Yeah. And Lagoon. And well, Lagoon. No, well, Lago- but yeah, but Lagoon's not. Yeah, I mean, yes, but. It's in spitting distance. But in Fruit Heights, like Cherry Hills, that's it. You one. could not spit from there to Lagoon. You could. No. You could, yeah. If the wind was just right and no. carried it south, you Guar- have a serious you right capability. N- yeah, I guarantee you right now, <laughs> I can drive with my driver to Lagoon. I live that close to Lagoon now. I live in Farmington right now, oh, right behind Lagoon. So, right. so oh, nice. I am that close that I could spit to it. Um, but then I, I went to Weber State and got my degree in marketing with an advertising emphasis there and a finance minor. And I started a business in school a communication business in school with one of the professors during a senior project. And I promptly had that taken by a member of the family, taught my first business lesson, never work with your family. (laughs) That's a great lesson. And then I went to work in the travel industry. I was a marketing director at Murdoch Travel for seven years. And at the end of that tenure was when my presentation thing started. It was during an event that happened in my sixth year there that I figured out how to do this. And KSL hired me away from KS from Murdoch Travel to be a contractor, and I started working on building KSL's presentations, and it just expanded from there. So you always stayed in Utah, or have you ventured out at all? 
Say that again. Have you always lived in Utah? Yeah, or, yeah I, I, I pretty much lived in Utah between, actually, uh, honestly, went from Fruit Heights to Farmington, Kaysville to Farmington. So, so I'm a, very small. A small Davis triangle. Dart through and a through. Very, very, <laughs> I'm an ancient Davis Dart, so I was in the old school Davis Dart, yeah. Nice. Yeah, nice. and I married my high school sweetheart. She's she's awesome, and so yeah, we've we've lived right around there. She was from Alpine and moved up, and so she made the big move then. <laughs> That's yeah. a long distance. Alpine's Alpine. pretty far away from Ogden. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fucking eighteen yeah. hundreds guys. Yeah. <laughs> it took thirty minutes. Had to, to hook, hitch up the wagon to go from Alpine yeah. to Ogden. <laughs> yeah, it was quite a jaunt. <laughs> she thought U-Haul was gone for like three hours. <laughs> How did so you moved you moved in with KSL, um, and you said that it took six years to have that aha moment. What did you do after that? That started to develop. I guess I should ask what year that was in correlation with um, doing the Olympic stuff which was very, very big. But having that aha moment after doing something like you've been doing for so long, it's a pretty big deal. Yeah. Well, what what happened, kind of the cliff note version of what happened is we were starting to lose our corporate sales to Morris Travel, which was a competitor, right? We started losing our corporate sales, and the president of the company came to me and said, you got to figure this out. Now, I wasn't – I had moved out of the sales department into the marketing department, so I was doing all the ads and everything, and we had 15 offices around the world, really. We had them in Australia and Hawaii and everywhere. And he came to me and said, you need to figure out what's happening here. So I start doing research, and I find out that – in Morris Travel's presentations to their potential clients, they assumed that they owned Morris Air Service. So Morris Travel looked like they owned an airline. And so we had a perception issue, and it wasn't... Once I figured that out, I went back, and the company actually started a charter airline called the Murdoch Shuttle. And so we competed with them directly. Well, here's the phenomenon that we didn't really understand until it happened. They didn't own that airline, June Morris left the agency and started it with David Needleman, created another corporation called Morris Air Service. When we started a charter, we owned it. Well, we became a competitor to all the other airlines the second we did that. Very different deal. <laughs> so it wasn't too long before we said, no, nah, we're going to nix that idea. we got to figure something else out because it was getting us kind of in hot water. Well, I kept doing research, and I finally dawned on me that what was happening is we were losing it in the presentation. There was a perception issue. And I I came across an article that I read that said that if you can overcome the political ramifications, the presentation 80% of the time can sway a decision. And I thought, this is my only hope. Yeah. You ever been to a timeshare pitch? That's a- <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So I thought, this is my only hope. If I'm going to make this happen, this is where it's going to happen. So I went to work on creating a cooler presentation. Because back then, this is in 1992, 90, right? This is pre-merger. Yeah, forever ago, right? <laughs> yes, because they're married now, yeah. right? Yeah. Morris Murdoch. Are they actually yeah, married? They are. What happened? It's actually Morris Murdoch <laughs> Travel. Yeah, I know that it's Morris Murdoch Travel. I hear their stupid commercials all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, I'm not involved. So uh, <laughs> yeah, They have a crappy jingle writer that gets yeah. stuck in your head. I guess yeah, I'm not involved. One, but but um, we started doing these presentations with... A, a, I had to make them look 
better. So the software of the day, Aldous Persuasion was what it was called. And you could build slides like in PowerPoint, but the software was designed to print 35 millimeter slides. So for actual slides. Yeah. So you would actually design them and you would print them and go in with the and do the slide. You know, a little round. Right, the little carousel. Uh, yeah. right? So I did two or three that way. And then one day I realized that there was a preview mode. So you could click preview mode and it would show you what the slide would look like on a slide. And you could go through them. It wasn't intended because no laptop, no computer had video out. It just went to the video. Does that make sense? Yeah, just to the it's screen. It's like pre-PowerPoint. It is pre-PowerPoint, right? And so I thought... Well, if I can figure out how to get this out of the computer to something that projected, I got game here. I got something really cool. So I found I had the company spend $20,000. We bought a television data projector the size of a tuba. <laughs> we took a full-on CX, Macintosh CX computer. We, we had to, five guys carry all the gear in. It looked like we were a NASA. We would set this thing up, and we would project through this television projector now the scan differential was off so it had this bar going through it and the first presentations used every feature possible so it was horrible every every color known to man everything that would people first learned powerpoint and put in five thousand animations yeah and they use every transition because they're there i still do that (laughs) i use a cube and then i did a checkerboard fold and then i did a flying in and like the text had 12 i just like him to change then the rain and you gotta put music in you know when i actually have a saying just because you can doesn't mean you should you can do a lot doesn't mean you should right Well, what happened is we took this presentation out and it was blowing people's minds. We were winning our business back because the perception went up. We looked way more professional with this. One of the shots we had, this is before I actually worked with KSL. This is why this happened. We were trying to win one of their trips. Very politically difficult to win, even though Murdoch Travel was the LDS Church's travel agency and KSL is an LDS affiliate. There was a relationship there with Beehive Travel that we couldn't overcome. Hmm. It was a, a family relationship that was unbeatable. And so I didn't know what to do. So we were invited to pitch to win one of these trips, and I had nothing to lose, so I went for bear. I, I built this mean presentation. <laughs> I thought, at least I can impress them, right? So I went over. We set all this gear up. We do this first presentation about 15 minutes into this. I wasn't really even going. The general sales manager raised his hand and stopped me. He said, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah. He said, who did this? I said, I did. He said, no, no, no. Who bought all this equipment? Who built this presentation? I said, I did. He said, you bought all this gear and you made this presentation. I said, yeah. He said, can I talk to you for a minute in the hall? (laughs) (laughs) It was the weirdest thing that's ever happened to me in a sales pitch, right? So I went out in the hall and he said, you can show us how to do this. And I said, yeah. And he said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you this trip if you show us how to do this. (laughs) So I thought to myself, I'm going to be a hero. Do I even need to finish the presentation? And he said, no, you can leave. When I walked back in, his salespeople were so trained. They all had papers out writing down the models of all of the equipment that I had. They were going to work. Well, next month I went back. We built a presentation for them. They went into the Ford Motor Group and did this pitch, and it was the largest sell in the history of the company. Wow. Wow. And that was it. 
So they said, you've got to get out and do this because our, we can't figure this out. Even if we have all the gear, you need to come and help us. So they offered me a little office space inside the radio and I moved in. So I started building presentations there and I got, you know, when you do something a lot, you get better at it. You're right. It's just one of the nature of the things. The aha moment that trajectory it just changed my entire trajectory was when i figured out the concept of cadencing presentations now when you build a presentation you typically use an outline like you wrote a paper in college or high school right right so you go roman number one here's my main topic roman number one here's my support material roman number two well here's the interesting thing about that you're simply deploying information like you were writing a paper you're organizing, deploying information. Well, presentations are for, there's a different role of a presentation. It's designed to engage people. It's, you're, you're not just deploying information. Well, I, it happened to me when I was at a movie. I was at um, Sleepless in Seattle with my wife. It was payback day. She had seen some alien movie. And so I owed her uh, movie. <laughs> Payback. That is a, I like that. <laughs> that is a nice wife because my wife, I try to get her to watch movies like Napoleon Dynamite and she just hates because me for Napoleon months. Dynamite is stupid as hell. <laughs> See what I mean? That was like there's, a waste of my life. There's no payback. She no, just there's no her. payback. There is that. no payback. I got to tell you, when I walked into that theater, there were nine guys in there with hoodies on. <laughs> so he'd walk in there without a. It wouldn't even have to be a payback. He'd totally watch Sleepless in Seattle yeah, with me. The only movies that I won't watch with him are stupid movies. I deal with stupid people every day. I don't need to watch a movie about stupid people. Yeah. And I won't watch Office because I work in an office yeah. and I deal with those people. Yeah. I don't think it's funny. It's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's and you you're you're callous to it, right? You're all, yeah, that's how you I, live I, your I, life. I just look at them and I'm like. This isn't funny. It's dumb. I dealt with that person today. Yeah. And I was frustrated with him. Why do I want... No, it's not funny. So he owes me payback. I never owe him payback. Right. So I'm sitting in this movie trying to figure out... I actually said before I sat down, I said, you guys, we all got each other's back, right? Nobody says anything. None of us were here. They all laughed and the girls all clapped that we were there and we sat down. Ten minutes into this movie, I'm trying to figure out how do I occupy myself because <laughs> I'm losing my mind. I mean, I mean, I'm okay. I like movies. I, I'm a movie buff. But I'm sitting there watching this movie, and I'm all of a sudden, the strangest phenomenon happened to me. This movie split into channels. It was like a spectrum. It went music channel, sound effect channel, action channel, storyline channel, actor channel. And I was going, whoa, 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 whoa. This is what is happening. And my brain was going so wild at the moment. I thought, okay, I just got to focus on one thing. So I focused on just the music line. And I followed the music line through this movie. And I thought, okay, they use movie music as a trick. They move the audience with music. And I thought, oh my gosh. So I went home. This is kind of embarrassing to admit. I got a yellow pad of paper. I watched that movie four times. I went back to that movie. Like back to back? Back to back. Nice. Because I did the music, then I did the action storyline, then I followed the actor's engagement with the, the different blocking and the things that were going. And by the time I got done, I had a bunch of squiggly lines that I normalized into one pattern that was the actual cadence of that movie. <laughs> and I spent the next 15 years drawing movies because there's a rhythm with a movie. And I, I actually, when I give a presentation, I do a workshop on this, and I show them Jason Bourne and The Notebook. And the reason I put those two movies is they couldn't be more night and day from the concept, right, the topic of the movie. There are three 
distinct spikes in these movies. It's just that Jason Bourne's movies are hard spikes. They happen super fast. So the ramp up goes really, really fast. The ramp down goes fast. And so the action of this movie happens. They have to make it up and down or else people can't handle the movie. Well, it's kind of funny, and I, I joke about this. Every movie starts with, this is a presentation from Goldwyn, whoever, the theater is, the Sony. It's a Sony presentation. They call them presentations. Mm-hmm. So I just started, to think, I thought, oh my gosh, this is the aha moment of my career. So now when we build presentations for clients, and literally with this agency since 2002, this is how we build our clients' presentations. We sit down with them, and we draw a cadence, the role of the cadence. And there's different aspects of this this cadence. It's like a chart that's a custom chart that I designed. There's information and emotion. And the role of the cadence is to combine the two of them to move the audience to an objective. And so we go through this process. They give us a dump of all their information they got to present. And we orchestrate a show out of that presentation so that it engages the audience in the right level of emotion so that it can do the job. And if you've ever, you've been to presentations, right, where people whip out PowerPoint and they start doing this thing. PowerPoint. Ten, yeah, 10 minutes into this thing, you're thinking, there is no exit close enough. I don't know how I'm going to get out of it, <laughs> right? And I didn't bring a weapon. I don't know what I'm going to do. It's so funny because people, when we got these tools, they stopped using outlines. They started kicking PowerPoint open and just mm-hmm. dropping crap on pages, on slides. So there's no rhyme or reason. They get up and start giving their presentation, and all of a sudden you hear them say, okay, I can't remember what I was doing that, but let's move on. Click, next slide. And then everything that they say is on the slide. So it actually damaged our ability to present. This tool that is such a powerful weapon actually jacked us up. We got worse at it. And so, and you know how, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you this. This is my, one of my keynote things that I got to make sure it goes anytime I open my mouth, especially on a microphone. When you see someone at the end of their presentation, a slide comes up with a question mark on it. <laughs> <laughs> or the word questions. <laughs> I lose my mind. Because this is exactly the example of someone being led by their slides instead of giving a presentation. You stand up and throw your notepad down and say, I'm out of here. No, my wife gets mad at me because I make this. This is the sound I make. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> that did not just happen. And she says, you got to you do that loud. I said, I'm deaf. I have to say it loud. I can't hear myself. <laughs> like, That's but it's so funny because every time I do this and I tell people this is an issue for me, I'll bet three times a week I get a text message with a photo of a slide that says questions on it. <laughs> like I'm going to make a quilt out of them or something, right? I got a hundred slides with the word question on it. But this is an interesting thing. If you are, people have a fear of presenting. It's called glossophobia. It, it, it's just a typical thing that people don't, they don't get into it. And it's so funny because people really, they're, they're stepping, it's the same movement presenting. They present all day long. They talk to people all day long. They order at a fast food restaurant. They make presentations all day long. And so that level of presentation isn't scary. But when you put it in a perspective of this, stepping off of a curb to cross the street is the same exact movement as stepping out of a plane. The only thing that's different is the environment. You're doing the exact same thing. The environment is what freaked you out. Now, if you stepped out of an airplane three times a day, you would get over that fear. You would you would actually overcome it. So as 
as a communication major, I graduated a long time ago, <laughs> so like social media didn't even exist yet. Something I always wanted to do was teach kids public speaking because that is not something that happens and that would, you know, that's where that fear comes from is that you're in what, eighth grade and all of a sudden you have to stand up and give a book report and nobody's taught you how, you know, that's why doesn't that exist? Right. Isn't it interesting because as soon as you're asked to give a presentation, you're on the spot. And, and it is because it's a foreign moment. We don't typically have it very often. And so when we're asked to do it, it's kind of funny because we've done a test of this. You have six people sitting in a room around a table. And each person is going to take a minute and talk about a project they're working on. You can go around that room and everybody's fine. But if you were to stop three people in and say, I need you to take your notes and go stand at the table and tell us it from standing at the front of the table. That's enough of a shift to send that person into outer space. But why is that? Is it the just a confidence of uh, not presenting correct information, a fear of... I no, think it's, it's, no, it's environment. It's, it's, the it's environment. what I say. When you're sitting behind this table, you're... you're 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 protected. There's a table and there's things there's and you can fiddle around and, you know, other people are fiddling around. They're looking down and you don't necessarily have to be looking at them. As soon as you stand up in front of people, people don't expect you to fiddle around. They All expect you to look is... at them and then everybody, yeah. it feels like everybody's looking at you even though nobody really is. So you're a movie buff. Let's talk about award shows and people giving getting up and being put on the spot to give those speeches. Some are super confident and then you have somebody like Joaquin Phoenix who has severe social anxiety. Did you see so that? He's, oh, every speech, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And, you know, being in the movies, you wouldn't think that would be part of his dialogue he would you know be able to put on that mask and stand up there okay, but so here's the here's the unique difference in that very situation still <clears throat> environment me. exactly he does this behind a camera he does it every day just like he sits behind a microphone when he's doing a podcast he's in that environment that's his zone there's tons of people there's food everywhere it's also it's a job and he's acting it's he's a not job himself. and he's acting he's not on display when he stands in front of that microphone it's the first time he's done it because it's the first award he's ever won since high school he stands up in front of that thing it's the same camera saying the same thing and he's in a different environment and it freaks him out I think it's incredible that true self showed through him. I know a lot of people had issues with it, but I thought it was incredible. Yeah. Well, I know that even the way that you talked about the way media changed, the way people communicate has changed. I have a daughter that is terrified to even talk on the phone. Like the her because she doesn't talk on the phone. Right. And so she won't even call like the pharmacy to get a refill if she can't do it on her phone. My other daughter's fine. But she like, but she's the president of her sorority. She can get up and live in front of people and talk. But for some reason, the phone freaks her out. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? And and everybody has little things like that. And now I I don't want to minimize. I don't I don't want to to take away the fact that some people do have anxieties that are stronger than others. Um, being able to speak in front of a group, it's an intimidating thing. It's so out of everybody's comfort zone unless they do it all the time. So it's really hard. It's it's still hard for me to fathom how it's so difficult for people because it's always but been you, so easy for me. But you close I, I your see. eyes when you talk to people. 
Uh, when I talk to people one on one, I do. Right now, sure. <laughs> like, yeah, on the podcast, always absolutely. you never make. I, you, I'm pretty one of the only people that you'll sit and make contact. It is weird because because one on one, I I do tend to wander off, and some of it is like you know getting my thoughts together, and I don't want to stare at someone while I'm trying to collect my thoughts because it's distracting. But in a room full of people, it doesn't matter. Right, that's easy. In fact, I, I've there's a TED talk by a lady in Australia that she has a specific clinical diagnosed anxiety about one-on-one dialogue (laughs) on a stage she's crazy just crazy because she's not having to connect personally with someone when she has to connect personally so she's got this different kind of fright it's a different kind of situation so everybody's got their things but the interesting thing and you brought this up earlier trying to teach kids that they can do this when they're young right think about all through high school and college how many public speaking classes did you have one and then you go out into the business world and until you are an executive in a company you haven't stood in front of a group for 20 years and then all of a sudden you're promoted and they say to you you got to make the presentation at the conference next year there's going to be 350 people there what are you going to talk about and that's it i'm out i'm out i'm going to blow a fuse right this happens all over the country and it's getting worse because as our communication ability and our level of ability to market goes global companies are finding that their executives have to communicate to their audiences to keep them it's kind of an interesting thought have you have you noticed that some companies like even silicon silicon slopes just did this Silicon Slopes is a very successful conference. There's a billion people at this thing. Who did they have come speak at this last one? Mark Zuckerberg. Mark Zuckerberg. Okay. And a lot of other people, but right. <laughs> namely. There yeah. was a ton of people that spoke there, but they bring in Mark Zuckerberg and how many people signed up to go and listen to Mark speak? 20,000 people? Did you try to get in that room? I was at that room. It was like, screw this. I'm not going in that room. I don't care who he is. That's why they wait to announce it, which I think is stupid. They should just sell more tickets to begin with to the whole conference. But Conferences bring in Imagine Dragons mm-hmm. so that people will book the trip to watch Imagine Dragons and the rest of the conference, they have to listen to these executives muddle their way through a presentation. Which is unfortunate because they have some incredible names that come and speak. Right. But if they don't know how, then... Right. What's the point? Yeah. And it's amazing to me that watch these event planners and these people that say, do you want people to come or not? Because if you want people to come, you can't have Marty Robison, your marketing director, be your keynote speaker. <laughs> so we're going to bring no in. Who it is. He might yeah. be really fun, though. We're going to bring in J-Lo. <laughs> and we'll get people here. And then you can talk after she goes off we're stage. We're going to put a giant pole in the center of the stage. <laughs> Whatever brings them in. <laughs> We're going to let her climb to the top of it, but it's not a stripper dance that she's no, doing it's on not. stage. You have to post that, right? You have so why did it. they do the debate? Why did they choose to do one of the governor debates there, do you think? Because there was an audience. There was a massive audience Built there. Built-in audience. So we're going to have this debate, whether they like it or not. It was like, we're going to punish you for a little while. You're going to have to listen to this because you're already in your chair, all 20,000 of you, in this but great it, big, massive room. But it's also like... Getting a, a gubernatorial debate again uh, in front of the people at Silicon Slopes, regardless of they're there for a tech conference, even if they're there to see Mark Zuckerberg, they're there for a tech conference. Guess what? One of the biggest fueling growths is in this state in recent years. Mm-hmm. Tech. So these are all people that have come to the state in recent years or are in that top industry 
Who do you think the governor wants to talk to or the potential future governor wants to be in front of? Yep. That was the audience. Yeah, why That not? was a growing audience. And so it's kind of interesting because if you could do research and find out how many people said, whoa, there's going to be a debate, I'm going to Silicon Slopes. I think you'd be surprised how few it was. Because <laughs> I doubt anybody went there for the debate for and said, okay, I'm out. I'm, I'm leaving now. So they had an audience, and that was a perfect opportunity to do that. And this is what's happening in our country now is they're finding that I've got to present to keep my relationship with my clients because if I don't do it, my competitor is. Hmm. And they could reach them super fast. So the, the ability to speak is actually higher in demand. And it's kind of funny because once executives realize that this isn't just about being able to be good at your job, being able to be a public speaker not even going that far, just being able to present well, builds your self-confidence in a way that's indescribable. Because when you get done speaking to a group, if you did a good job, the little seven-year-old inside of you is giddy that you did this performance. It's just an interesting phenomenon about how impactful just being able to get better at this skill is. And you would think growing up in, I mean, a religious community where you are getting up and, and speaking... I don't know if you, uh, I assume you travel, but see a difference in people in Utah versus other places that you go and public speaking. For sure. For sure. In fact, I'm a member of the National Speakers Association. And when we go to the conferences and we watch these people get up and give their workshops, there are vast differences in what they believe is what their audience wants. Some of these speakers get up and it's like, I have to ask myself, am I supposed to be in a fight? (laughs) Because it's so aggressive. I mean, they're just so aggressive. And and they're saying, can I get a yes? And it's like, oh, my gosh, yeah, yeah. So am I supposed to say it? Or I'm not, you know, because it's so foreign to anything that I've ever seen from someone giving a presentation. And so watching people from different backgrounds give their presentations and how they engage with their audiences has been a, a very interesting learning experience because it is different. So you're not asking for a hallelujah, hands up in the back? I, I don't do it because I'm not <laughs> sure how to do it. You probably, probably make a lot more money. <laughs> it's, it's so funny because one of the ones that I went to at the last conference, which was in Denver, I saw a couple people when, when one of the gentlemen started giving his presentation, he was moving into the audience and I saw enough people that were intimidated enough as physical, he broke physical barriers, left the stage, came out into the audience. As he went past people, they would get up and walk out. You could see the people that that was an uncomfortable zone break. He went way too into my comfort zone and then they had to get out. Wow. It's, it's just an interesting phenomenon watching it from a very scientific level of what different presenters do. It's really unique. We had a priest that, he would always make three points and we'd get up there and you'd just wait for it and he'd talk for a second and then he'd say, okay, I have three points. And then he'd make, he'd make his three points, but then you knew when he was done and that was it. And then we had a priest that would come out and he would stand out there and at first some of the old people would look at him and give him funny looks and stuff. But the kids thought it was like the best thing ever that he came down and talked. So it is, it's, everybody has their own thing to get through yeah. it and... If you make three points, I guess everybody just knows what to expect from you. <laughs> yeah. I want to step back just a little bit to you having that presentation with KSL. Because when you said that on my notes here, I wrote down, I saw somebody that called you the Thomas Edison of advertising and presenting. And you telling the story of building this stuff makes absolute sense now. So... 
creating that and moving into the positions that you've done, how have you seen this industry evolve? The presentation industry Uh itself? Well, it's interesting because the software manufacturers are taking that element of fear down because the software is way more stable now, right? I, I, I can tell you right now, some of the early presentations I made, I would go in, I would set up my laptop when they first had video out. I actually have a Macintosh 170. It's a black and white laptop, one of the first ones out that did not have video out. And I, I commissioned a company up in Oregon to solder a yeah. color card on top of the motherboard and create it so I could plug a data projector in. It was the very first one ever invented, and I used that thing like a weapon everywhere I went because other than that, you had to take all this gear. It was impossible. No professional company was setting these up because no one knew how to do it. Mm-hmm. They were shooting video or not. It was a video or it wasn't. So this software is one of the really the software packages that are out there are really taking a lot of the anxiety away. The stability of projectors and the stability of laptops is helping so much how about the mobility of projectors now like you have projectors that are as big as your phone or even your phone with a thing on the back of it projecting now yeah and i'm confident years ago i thought there's going to come a time in a business meeting that this thing is going to be sitting in the middle of the table and it's going to come straight out of the table and you're going to see it from any angle you are and it's going to be spectacular i hope i'm alive when it happens. Because it's Iron Man stuff right there. Yeah, it's going to happen. It's not far off. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you, you see that stuff in movies, and I see it, and I go, ah, that's exactly where we're going. That's going to happen. <laughs> One day it's going to happen. Minority Report, we're going to get there eventually. Right? <laughs> I'm hoping not that part. Yeah. I, but I did. I watched this projection. One of the first real data systems that I had to project with was on a panel that sat on an overhead projector. I dare you to find an overhead projector today in a business anywhere. This LCD panel sat on top of a data of a of a overhead projector to project to the screen. We had one in our office until about a year ago that just sat there. No, I don't even know. I probably half the people in the business were like, I don't even know what that what is. What am I going to do with that? Right? It's kind of like a typewriter. What are we going to do with this? Can we? Oh, get we this have out to still here? use a typewriter. I can type on one. Nice. So we've got one upstairs. I went from, oh, we do, but I use one at work. Yeah. I went from that into real data projectors, real automatically connected. Right now, you can get a projector that you don't plug any cables into. It's battery driven. Your laptop connects to it. You're on your way. So it's changed the market dramatically. What's terrifying to me is humans haven't kept up with that. We crutch off of them worse. The more capable those software and that equipment gets, we get worse at it. That's what's terrifying to me. So my whole mantra is to try to rid the world of awful presentations by awesome people because it happens every day. They're really good at it until they start engaging and entangling in all this equipment that, that really encumbers their ability to speak. The worst part about it, you you touched on it a little bit, is when people read their slides. (laughs) I want a presentation that's different from the slide. Your slide can drive home your point, but if you're just going to read your slides, just print it out for me and give it to me and I'll read it. Why didn't you just send it? Yeah. You know, the people that I find interesting are the ones that I'm listening to and then I go, oh yeah, your slide kind of points out what you're saying. But it does, it's not, it's not necessary. And so then if someone does raise their hand and ask a question, they can answer it 
and, and get back to their presentation without that loss that you talked about where yeah. they just, they forget and they just move on and maybe they've missed, you know, five of the points that they really needed to make. Now you're kind of lost because they've moved on and, and you're not quite ready to be there. Those are the ones that I would rather listen to where I'm not literally flipping right like a hand, you know, when they give you handouts so you can take notes. The ones when I'm not actually where, and when I want to write something down, I'm like, I'll just write it right here. Cause I don't even know where I am in it because yeah. I'm paying attention. Yeah. And it's interesting. One of the things that I teach people in these workshops is if you put a bullet on a page, you're bound to it. So more information in your presentation is actually confining because you can't have a slide up there with six bullets on it and say, I'm only going to tell you two of these, one and three, the rest of them <laughs> deal with it. So we teach people don't put bullets on the screen unless you are going to go through each of these items and you have to go through these items because they're confining. Just don't put bullets on the screen, please. Yeah. And the more you put on, the more you have to be relying on that presentation. So, and, and that's happening to us. We're, we're intimidated by the presentation moment, so we crutch ourselves by putting more information. And I was working with an executive at J.P. Morgan, and she had a body tick that blew my mind. She could not move her hand from right there as soon as she started talking. <laughs> and I said... For those uh, of you that can't see, it's like just below the chest in the like shape of you, a... It's pointer. like if she were cupping her breast. Yes. But, just but exactly it's like in that. the shape of a slide advancer, basically. Yes. And, and she would go with this hand, this hand would go, and I would say, okay, I'm going to have you hold the remote in that hand. And she said, oh, okay. <laughs> and her other hand went up, and I went, okay, I'm going to have you hold this glass. And she said, I can't do that. I can't do that. And after about two hours of trying to get her to be able to give this presentation, it was in two days, and I was coaching her through, getting ready for this big show they were doing, I finally realized she was freaking out that her content wasn't on the screen. Every word of what she was presenting was on the screen. When she sent it to us, I thought she said, this is what I'm going to say. So build me a presentation to support it. And when after three hours, she finally said, I need my original presentation. And I said, the note you sent me? She said, no, that was my original presentation. <laughs> I'm, I'm not kidding you. She gave that presentation with every word, with her back to the audience, reading the slides with her hand right here. And I said, I can't. I, it's going to take me a year to work with this lady to get her comfortable. She was so petrified of making a mistake that she simply said, I'm just going to read this. If you're going to make me speak, I'm just going to read it. And it's funny because in corporate America, if you are on a C-level job and you can't present you're not going to hold that spot. You know, the, the best advent in recent years in the presentation software, whether it's PowerPoint or slides or anything else, are speaker notes. And being able to have a screen in front of you that has speaker notes that's different than the presentation that you're showing everyone it works wonders when you're doing online presentations as well, which is where most of them are these days. If you're not in front of a big audience, it's absolutely online. Yeah, it's amazing. The f the the only negative piece of that is people will read, they'll write their script <sighs> verbatim. And so the ridiculous. second you start doing that, everyone knows. And right. everybody checks out. As the second they well, hear you you're say... you're engaging with the audience. Exactly. You're just reading to them. That's a very different feeling. Well, it's like our... 
Jason, Jason, your sidekick over here that brought you to us, he sent me an email earlier today and he's like, just, I just need talking points. And, and it's the same thing. We, we write down a few, but we don't want to have to rely on that, you know. No bullet points. If we hit them all. Right. We hit them all. If we don't. (laughs) Occasionally we have, you know, guests that come in that it's a little bit harder to direct a conversation with, but that, you know, you have bullet points and then it just, becomes that's what we have to talk about yeah. it's confining it it's, it's right. confining bullets are bondage that's what i always tell people bullets are bondage you put them on your presentation you're bound to them mm-hmm. even though you don't want to say them you're bound to them so you uh we're, we're through the the evolution of the technology and i'm just going to say one of your favorite quotes people would rather be in the coffin at a funeral than delivering the eulogy is that what inspired you to write your new book, Presenter Evolution? No. Well, it was a part of it. What really inspired me to write this is over the past 30 years, I have found real solutions that help people get better at this. And it's not always the same thing. That's what's amazing to me. Like this lady that had this issue. Once I realized that she was full on going to have a breakdown if I didn't give her slides so what I ended up doing to her is I ended up on the next present she did, I gave her her presentation deck in paper, and I had someone else run her slides. I knew she wasn't going to stray. And as soon as she was in front of people, not looking at the slides because her words, words weren't on the slide, she had cards that had her words on them, and she ended up reading them so many times that she could say them. She could actually talk them. And after about three presentations, she started feeling more comfortable and they were just her and she would hold them in this hand and they wouldn't be perched right here. She (laughs) actually was able to move her hand away because she got more comfortable. So really, I think that the the foundation of where this book came from is I have found in five different areas ways to help people get better at this and one of the things that i think is maybe the main thing other than trying to rid the world of awful presentations is helping people understand this simple concept in order to get better at something you have to practice it you can't just learn it you can go to school all you want and until you put practical application to it you're not going to get better right here's the most important part of that thought If you practice the wrong thing, you'll perfect it. So if you don't know what to practice and you just start presenting, guarantee you're going to perfect and you're going to create habits that you will be very hard pressed to break. It's like golf. I always relate it to golf. I played golf, thought I was a super. I used to tell people I was a three handicap. I'm a 30 handicap once I actually started keeping score. It's like, you actually have to track every ball? That's ridiculous, and it's two points if it goes out of bounds? <laughs> it was a learning curve experience for me. And once I had someone, a real good friend of mine, took me under his wing, and it took me four years to get under 10. And I had to unlearn unlearn all of my ways of playing golf before I could learn the right way. I literally started taking beginner lessons just to learn how to hold the stupid club. (laughs) So my hope is people that are already speaking or they want to get better at speaking because it's a self-esteem, it's a self-value, it's a self-worth skill, practice the right thing. Do you find that it's hard, like... Say you you buy a company and you have to go in and basically like retrain people and you have to just basically fire most of them anyways. <laughs> but do you find that that's it's the same principle with unlearning 
the bad habits of speaking? Well, I don't, I don't know that it's like you're tossing people away. You know, we, we, we're very conscious when we hire someone in our agency that they can go through my workshop. We, we train them. We teach them how to do it. We go through the fundamentals of it. Everybody can get a book so that they can read it on their own and understand what some of those things. But the key, the key to helping somebody through this, if they actually want to change, the terrifying thing, and this is a phenomenon that I've bumped into my career, I've been hired by companies specifically to tell their executives to shut their mouth. Because they're pre- how does that go over for you? <laughs> okay, so right, right. The first couple times I did it, uh, they they hire they hire us under the guise of teaching their team how to present better, and so I give these big workshops, and usually it happens about the second meeting with them as I'm training their people and their their team and their executives and their partners, and we're teaching them how to present. And somebody calls me up and says, "Can we go to lunch?" And I know I'm in trouble as soon as that happens because I'll have three people from their management team saying, you know, this is going great, but we need you to understand what you're here for. You are a sacrificial lamb that needs to tell all seven of our partners that they're not allowed to present the agency ever again. (laughs) You know, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Okay, first of all, you're never telling someone down the food chain that they can't present. These are people with massive egos. These are people that think it's their job to present. Well, it took me decades to learn how to deliver that message. (laughs) And this is how you deliver the message. So I'm giving you a piece. This is a career find for me. You ready for this? Yes. We're going to go take CEOs out after this. Yes. This is a career find for me. When I meet with an executive and it's not, it's not flipping it, it's not spinning it in a PR way. I say to them. You have to understand, you cannot present at the level of equity you bear when you walk in. If you open your mouth, you will erode your equity. Because as a partner of this company, you are in high esteem. So you should introduce your presentation team, tell them that you support that presentation team, and then shut your mouth until it's question and answers. When it's question and answers, it's not a presentation. It's open dialogue. Then your equity is a very powerful weapon. And I always say this because it makes them feel better. I'm not sure I could present at the level of equity you have walking in the room. You shouldn't do it. And every one of them go, Wow, I'm glad you said that. I'd hate to make a fool of myself. (laughs) And you know what? It's the truth. It's the absolute truth. Because if they open their mouth and say, I'm going to go through the background of our company. In 1973, it's like, what the, what the, what? This is a professional whatever should not be presenting. He's losing his equity by opening his mouth. And that has saved a ton of companies from that moment. Now, there are presidents of companies. There are Steve Jobs out there that their presentation style is just who they are. Steve wasn't ever nervous because he was just this wacky techno dude walking around the stage with a mock turtleneck on. He didn't have a style. It was just Steve Jobs walking around. And you have books out there you can buy on Amazon on learning how to present the Steve Jobs way. That's insane. <laughs> oh, for crying out loud, present your way. Steve Jobs just talked and with Levi's and tennis shoes and a mock turtleneck sweater. That's it. If that's, what, if that's your style, go for it. So uh, what what's next for you? You've written a book. You've got this agency. What, do you have any big things on the horizon? Well, let's talk about the book for a second because he brought it. Okay. I haven't read it yet. So. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a quick read. It's a quick read. Oh, it's got graphs in it. I saw. Yeah. The, well, this actually How has. How many bullet points? 
There's a lot of bullet points. <laughs> I see some. I see some bold too. There's some bold. It'll keep you engaged. So yeah, do you this, have a slide deck for it? You guys are looking. You guys are looking at Steve Jobs' uh, 2007 release of the iPhone. Oh wow! So, so it's deemed as one of the greatest presentations of our day, and it was a horrible presentation. So if you were to take this book, and you can you can take this book and call that up online on YouTube because every presentation is on YouTube now, right? If you called this up and you were to watch that presentation with this cadence in front of you, you would see the pattern. You would be able to fill that rhythm. That's his cadence of his presentation, and it's so funny because in my workshop when I talk about flat. it, he made three fatal mistakes at about two-thirds of the way through his presentation. He brought three guest speakers in to talk for about three to five minutes, and they destroyed him because they, they were not polished. They were horrible presenters. They were executives of companies, Singular and, and Yahoo, and some other big tech company came on. It's because it was a catastrophe, and he couldn't recover. And that's how come this fell off back to the nominal baseline. Now, people say, well, when, how come it was considered the greatest talk of our, of our time? Because of the tech he presented. What did he release? Yeah. He released mm-hmm. the Ten Commandments, for crying out loud. Yeah. It was like this guy gave the world the iPhone that day. Yes, it was a great. He could have walked out and said, I give you the iPhone, and it would have been over. Same, same speech, same power. Mic drop. Drop the mic, walk off the stage. If you watch this, you will, it will blow your mind, especially if you look at my notes in there. He tried to sell that iPhone after they were already sold because later in his presentation, he told them it was going to be $800. And everybody in the room was like, Dollars? No one had a phone that expensive, but he tried to explain. No, it's a GPS, it's a phone, it's an iPod, it's a, it's all these things. It's not just, it's an internet device. It's more than just a phone. You can see him dancing, trying to save himself from this price tag. And so all he had to do is reorganize his content into a cadence designed to manage the emotion instead of just the information, and he would have owned that room. So can you talk about your key presenter traits since you're talking about his cadence talk about mine yeah you're i see right back here on the back of your book five key presenter yeah. traits we'll yeah. talk about those. so so these are the traits that you will find in great speakers of our day and they're 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 kind of they're kind of like the ten commandments these are legit real issues the first one is confidence you can't really do anything unless you get confidence in your present in your presenting. You you've got to get over the fear of presenting, and that confidence is what does it. It means you know your content as well. The second one is passion. If you're not passionate about what you're presenting, everyone in that room will feel it, right? The third thing is preparation, and this is where the cadence comes in. Part of your fear is going to go away if you're prepared, it's right? True. If you can make sure you know your content, you can do a really good job on your presentation. The third one, the fourth one is control. And that's all that's all founded on being able to control an audience, being able to understand, am I moving them or am I not moving them? Am I seeing people out there doing this and some other guy in the other room fold a little football? (laughs) (laughs) Am I in trouble here because I've lost the audience, right? So controlling your audience is, a, is an art form that really great presenters have. And the last one is connection. And the connection issue is all about using media and storytelling. And it's really interesting. And if you get, 
when you guys go through this book, you can see this. I created a static. Most cadences aren't static, right? They're, they're, they have to be designed for the information and the audience. Storytelling in a presentation is actually a static cadence. Hmm. And I've done this hundreds, maybe thousands of times. And people always tell me, I don't have any stories. And I say, get your phone out. Open up your photos, just throw your finger up there and stop on a picture. I guarantee you I could turn that picture into a story. So if if you do research on storytelling, it happened back in the 1800s. Gustav Freytag came up with the dynamic arc. It's a It's a pyramid. And there's four things that happen. There's a climax, there's rising action, falling action, and a, it's called a denouement, a, res, a resolve. What I did, I didn't even know that after, until I had already built my cadence for storytelling. I have, there's a scene setting, an environment setting stage, and then there's three rising action humps. There's three different things that lead to a climax. Then there's two falling actions, and then there's a resolution. That is the cadence of a perfect story within a presentation. Because you're trying to use a story to move your cadence. A story is designed to either slow it down or, or to speed, speed it, it up, up, right? And it, when, when you talk about the, the humps in the cadence, it's, it's not designed to do happiness or sadness. It's all emotion. And it's, it's interesting. I have a son that's a neuroscience PhD down at BYU. He told me just the other day, he said, I want to do a research project to prove this because the eye dilation, the way your eyes dilate, they dilate the same way in fear or excitement or hmm. sadness. Just elevated emotion react the same. So these arcs that go up could be sad or they could be happy. It, but they are elevated emotion. That, that's how this cadence thing works. So when you do a story, it's so funny because you could I actually created a little file and I created a, a tool in PowerPoint and Keynote where you can take and build your stories into cadences like on slides. You can actually build your stories. Hmm. And you just all you need is a climax and a resolution and you can plug all the other elements in and you've got a story. Wow. It's really cool. cool. That's cool. So really quick, because I know we're running short on time. Uh, you've got the Host Preventer Evolution Series coming up. We talked to us just a little bit about that. It's at the community college. Yep. The dates and a little bit of info. Yep. So the 19th, this is March 19th, 26th, and April 2nd. These are three half-day events. And each day we cover one of the th- one of the three topics. So the first day it's all presenter skill, confidence, being able to understand how to get over your fears, and some techniques to help you overcome any body ticks or vocal ticks <laughs> you have. You know, this or there, it's funny. One of the most common ones is a three step where they leave one f- foot in place and they pivot the other one and hmm. they just dance back and forth. It's so funny. And the way you find these is videotape yourself doing it and then play it in fast forward. Hmm. It's kind of embarrassing. You're waltzing on the stage. Yeah, it's kind of embarrassing, but you do find them. The second day is all about the cadence. Okay, so we teach two tools. The cadence is the primary thing, but we also teach what's called a dynamic outline, where we take the traditional outline, we create another bar that comes down the side that explains the emotion you're trying to generate in each section. It's easier for a short, fast presentation. You can do it just like that, just like making a normal outline. Uh The last day is all about using media and storytelling. So we teach them the whole philosophy of the storytelling cadence. So is this open to anybody? How, open to how, anybody. how does one go about registering or signing so up? So they it? can go, if they go to penapowers.com, there's a uh, 
the link on that page that goes to the registration, and they can also go to MikeBryan.com. That's my my keynote speaking website. Mm-hmm. There's a link also to get to there, and they can sign up for one of them. They can sign up for all three and get a discount, but they're they're in succession for them to be able to go through the whole spectrum of what we teach. Will JLo be there? JLo will not be there, what but about, the, the Magic Dragons might show up. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how do people get a hold of you if they want to engage you for something else other than these? events you've got coming up so they can go straight to pennapowers.com um and i have three actual keynotes for events where i've come to speak to leadership conferences and that's on mikebryan.com it's at the agency's website still but that's where we do the keynote registrations for me to come and speak the workshops are actually designed for corporate workshops for groups of six to 15 or somewhere in that area because it's really intimate teaching we actually get right in on the their level and work with them individually and help them do it one of the things that i always want to make sure i tell people you don't have to present because anybody that comes in and teaches you how to present the next day expects you to stand up and do it that's crazy because it's just like me saying okay i'm going to show you how to catch a football you're in the, you're in the Super Bowl. Good luck. <laughs> this takes practice. I could do it. I could do it. You, you could do it. You could do it. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us, uh, Mike. It's been a you pleasure. The question. Got our question. Oh yeah, shit. <laughs> Chris. So it's new. It's still it new, new to me. It's only been a month now. Um, so you live in Utah by choice, I assume, because you're still here, <laughs> even though you were born in Ogden. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, what's one of the one one thing in Utah that you couldn't bear to part with if you left? Well, that would be my wife. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that would be my wife. Well, I would assume she'd, she'd go, go with, with you, you, but like something about well, not. I don't think so. I think <laughs> if I said to her, hey, I'm thinking about Arizona. Yeah, well, good luck with that. So what keeps her here then? What, what, what would your wife need to take with her? Well, okay, I'll, t- I'll tell you what really endears me to Utah, first of all. First of all, what endears me is I got to have the seasons. I got to have the seasons where I'd lose my mind. I got to have enough, a ch- little bit of change. And that's probably from being born and raised here with, and getting used to those mm-hmm. seasons. But I think beyond that, I have found the people in Utah are very, very unique. They're very different. They're very sensitive to each other. They're very polite to each other. We, and, and it doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter really what religion you are or political affiliation you are or whatever. I mean, my office is the entire spectrum, but we're a family. I mean, we are a family. You're Canada. Yeah, we're Canada. I'm Canada. I might be Canada in that. Because we have some different people that are from Norway in there. <laughs> Michael Bryan. Yeah. Everybody. But I, I think I think really what keeps me here is this is my home. These are my people. And even though I go all over the country to do this and to train people, and people are people, the issues are the same everywhere. It's It's just amazing to see that these are the same issues. You actually have more people in Utah that are comfortable speaking than most anywhere I go. Hmm. Well, thanks. Thanks a ton for joining us. It's been a good conversation. Well, thank you very much thank for having you. me. I appreciate it. Well, thanks again to uh, Michael Bryan, um, our guest. It does sound like Michael Bryan instead of Michael yeah. Bryan. So um, th- thanks, Jim. That that went uh, a different route than I was anticipating, which was very pleasant. Um and he was telling us about his hearing problems uh, off mic um, that are interesting. And it actually made me think because today Bree sent me Bree, – Bree has some hearing problems, um, some hereditary hearing problems, unfortunately. 
the, the doc- tinnitus is not though. No, but the sh- hearing loss is, but the tinnitus isn't. But they're oftentimes they oftentimes accompany each other. Uh, if you play this, are you going to trigger people? I I probably will. There there might be there might be like some dogs and stuff that. So, oh, with their headphones on. Yeah, the the thing is, like, Bree sent me this thing of all the. There's like ten different basic tones, and they're all in various, you know, Wavelengths how loud and, and stuff. But they're the the ten basic things that people with tinnitus hear. So this is the one that Bree hears. Sounds like you're in the bathroom at the airport. I, yeah, I was just going to say, the... it sounds like when you're flying in an airplane and it has background, like, white noise. Yeah, that's but that's That's constant. what I hear. That's, like, all, all day, yep. every day. Like, yep. it's wild. So we'll play it again. Sorry. Hold on, let me go. got to go back and play it again. Could you imagine just living with this all day as you talk? This is all I you don't hear. have to imagine it. Yeah, but that's just, that's really shitty. So <laughs> I'm just trying to drum up. Um, some sympathy. sympathy from our audience for you. Everybody just record that, put it on a loop and just play it for a day Look, and see how you I'm feel. I'm just taking advantage of the fact that I can actually do that with this mixing board <laughs> while we're here in the studio. I, well, so I've tried to describe it for years and I don't know why it never occurred to me before, but I was talking to my boss yesterday because we had some changes happen at work and I hadn't gone down and talked to him and he was concerned that I was upset about it. And I'm like, no, I'm just busy. And, but he pulled me aside and somehow we got talking about it. And I was trying to describe but and all of a sudden today I thought, I'm sure somewhere on the internet someone has done, and it, there's tons of sites where they play these 10 tones, and uh, mine's like the 5, what is it, 5 kilohertz something wave. Yeah, some kind of wavelength thing. Um, but there's it. there's some that are really, and like, really high-pitched. There's some five that are, like, intermittent. Impulse wave. Yeah, an impulse wave. Um, there's some that are just the, the hissing noise, which I think it would be more tolerable because it's really the high pitch that bothers me more than the background noise. But. Look, I'm not saying it's aliens, but <laughs> in your brain, the alien probe that they insert. But there's there's not a cure for tinnitus. Um, we were talking That's because to, we don't know alien technology. We were talking to Mike, and he did say that some of the new digital hearing aids that are coming out um, do kind of counteract that, so that you don't really hear it anymore. Well, it's kind of like but, noise But hearing canceling. aids aren't covered by healthcare and and they're really, really, really expensive. And the ones that I've tried, like I wouldn't be able to have long hair anymore. I'd always have to have my hair pulled back because your hair brushes against it and all you hear is... I'm like, I'd rather just deal with the tonight. You could do what I do. Just shave your head. There I could. you go. I and grow a beard. I don't know if I can grow a beard. I don't want you to. I might have to take some hormones to do that. That's for better or worse part of a marriage. But I could shave my head. (laughs) But I mean, it's just, it's crappy that health insurance doesn't cover things like that because it is an expensive cost. And like we were, we were talking, it's, it's something you can deal with. I mean, it's, you, there's deaf people everywhere, but it, it's dumb that it does it, that it's not a covered expense. So if you'd like to donate to Bree's hearing no, aid fund. we're not donating um, to my, I'm not getting hearing aids, people. Um, Don't donate to a fund, please. Actually, uh, if you if you want to leave us a review on whatever platform you listen to us on, that would be great. Uh, or share the episode. That's what helps us more than anything. Um, you can reach out to us at Facebook, uh, the New Utah Podcast, or Twitter and Instagram at TNU Podcast. We also have a website. I forgot to mention it last week, but it's thenewutah.com. It's a fantastic 
fantastic resource uh, to find all sorts of stuff, whatever, you know, people over the years have said that they love about Utah, things that they couldn't bear to lose uh, or leave behind in Utah, like the people. Um, I'm sure that'll be an interesting write-up for Jess to, <laughs> to figure out. Don't worry, I have a long way to go to get there. <laughs> <laughs> There's actually been a few people that have said that, though, over yeah. the last mm-hmm. several years. The unique said, people. Actually, when he said unique people, I was like, I think I just wrote that like two guests ago. Yeah. 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 The people in Utah really are yep. a special kind of people. They're incredibly gullible, um, but they're also very good people and nice people for the most part. So I'll yeah, get that all, section caught up soon. Don't they're worry. all falling for the coronavirus cures that people are posting on the Internet. Yeah. That's why we have to have that on every news and station. First, and they're all falling for holding a broom up. Oh, I know what? the hell i didn't realize how many gullible people i have that on my friends list (laughs) (laughs) like that's why i don't look at facebook people this is why i don't look at facebook people are stupid um i didn't even realize it was a thing because i was just going past them i'm like why are these stupid brooms here and then i saw like an article and i'm like are you kidding me really uh, what is it it's a hoax People said that NASA, that on this very particular day of the year, the gravitational pull is different. And so your broom will stand up by itself. Yes, your broom is going to stand up by itself because of the bristles. <laughs> That's why it does it. <laughs> I know. Chris, I agree. <laughs> they are. are and nobody like clicks to find out like why it's happening. They just say, oh my gosh, gravitational pull. Like, also, I you know, when I shit I and know. I flush it, it goes down this thing because of a pull that has nothing to do with gravity. Mm. That has everything to do with the motion, the motion of, the of water. <laughs> <laughs> well, similar, similar. Um, so anyway, um, enjoy Utah's greatest snow. We got a few more months of it probably, uh, with any luck and, um, have a good whatever fucking day you listen to us. If it's in the morning or, night. or in the evening on your drive to work, don't wreck your car, please. That would be bad. Um, but wherever you listen to us, and enjoy you're laughing so hard. <laughs> yeah. Enjoy the rest of your time. 